This morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 7, reading from verse 7. No, it wasn't. I was reading 13. Sorry. (laughs) Reading from verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from, a thorn, from, from, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Esther and Joel, as well, for just a great uh, help in worshipping. And welcome to church this morning. It's great to see you here. Now we've got a... I'll tell you what's happening. But before we do that, I just wanted to uh, remind you again that we have an app that you can download, and, and I know many of you have, and I'll tell you why that's important, or well, not important, it's useful. If we can just switch across to, uh, here we go. So uh, here's the app, the church app. It's on your phone, on your iOS or Android device, and uh, you can download it. Uh, we've got a QR code that'll scroll through at the end of the service, or you can ask me and I can share it with you, and you go, why is that so useful? Why am I raising that with you now? Down the bottom, the bottom tile on the front page is a little thing called notes. If you click on the notes, you'll see the sermon notes and readings for this morning. And if you go on there, you can see there's a little note that says being a disciple. That's what we're talking about this morning. And you click on that. And look at this. Here you go. Here are the Bible readings. Uh, here's a place for you to take notes. Here's some quotes that have come up on the screen. So everything you need to actually help you in the learning. Well, more stuff that you need, not everything, but more stuff that you need to help you learn and grapple with the content and remember it and apply it to your life. Come, life comes up on the screen and on your phone and you can take notes and so on. And you'll see there there's everything you need. There we go. So now you can have that and watch along and fill in as we go. Sound okay? All right. That's awesome. I'll just change devices now, and let's pray. Lord God, speak to us this morning. 
uh, wherever we are on our spiritual journey, whatever is going on in our lives, um, help us to think well together and to listen well and to learn from you uh, how to live, uh, Lord, a truly great life. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we are, you may not recall this, but we've been doing a series looking at uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and 7. And uh, we had a little break for four weeks to look at how do we make space in our lives for money because we were coming up to the end of the financial year and it made a bunch of sense uh, to think about money and possessions. But this morning, we, I just wanted us to wrap up that whole series and, and finish off. Uh, uh, for those of you who are interested um, to go back, it, it's, it's a really important chunk at the end of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus um, gives us some really very, very explicit instructions on what it is, on how important it is to be a disciple and what, what that entails. And it's important because if you miss this bit of Matthew 7, the rest of it kind of has limited force or applicability in our lives. And so uh, this morning we're going to think about how do we learn to live a truly great life? Um, because that's God's intention for us, right? Uh, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to live a truly great life. We've rethought, and as I've thought a lot about what we do as a church, we do two things for people. Uh, we'll, help, we'll help you connect with God, and we'll help you learn to live a truly great life. Okay, that's, that's what we do. Really simple. The question is, how do we learn to do this? And uh, the first point I want to make is this, and it's in the outline on the app. Um, everyone is someone's disciple. Everyone is someone's disciple. Uh, this is what Jesus says right at the end of Matthew's gospel, and we'll unpack what that means. He says, uh, just before he goes, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's, I really run the world. I know everything there is to know about life and the world. And uh, therefore, he says to his followers, go, and as you go, make disciples uh, of all nations baptizing them, immersing them, including them in the name, in the reality, in the presence of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, Jesus' plan is to uh, form a community of people who go on and make disciples. Now you might say, okay, Mark, what is a disciple? Okay, what is a disciple? Let's go. Let's pretend that's not a rhetorical question. If you had to come up with a contemporary word to uh, slot in there instead of disciple, what might it be? Follower. Follower? Yep. Influencer. Influencer. Yeah. Yeah. What? Devotee. Yep, like that. Believer, yeah. yeah. A, a disciple uh, is an apprentice, a follower, uh, someone who is intentionally wanting to learn from someone else. And uh, as I said at the start, uh, the first point is everyone is ooh, someone's disciple okay that is we all learn how to live from other people don't we like we're not born uh, with everything we need to know about everything we have to learn uh, and that takes uh, and that that process never ends okay so let me ask you a question um, uh, I'll pull up there's a quote here um, uh, from it's in the app, from um, uh, Plato, who said that actually our teachers are more influential than our parents because our parents bring us life, but our teachers teach us the good life. So our parents give us biological life, but our teachers teach us what the good life is about. So let me ask you a question right now. Who are you learning from? Think about your life, the broad range of your life. Who are you learning from in, in particular areas of your life? Can you think of who are you learning from? Apps. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Various kinds of apps. And what might you learn from uh, by an app? What, what sort of stuff are you learning online? I'll give you an example of what I'm thinking of. Uh, this morning, I, I subscribed to a fund manager who works in uh, interest uh, in, cr- in the credit markets, and he had a long article on why the Reserve Bank is foolish to lower interest rates and what we really need uh, to manage interest rates in this new environment. And so I am learning about economics and fiscal policy from this fellow who's made a lot of money in this area, and I think he really knows what he's talking about. And so I'm, I, I was reading that this morning over breakfast. And uh, I can tell you all about it afterwards. It's not actually germane to this uh, sermon particularly, except to say I'm his disciple. Okay, I, I'm, I'm his disciple. I'm, an, I'm apprenticing myself by reading and following what he has to say about interest rates and how to make money in, uh, with, with cre- in the credit markets. Um, okay? So think about it. Yell at, who are you learning? Think about that. Who's, who are you, whose disciple are you? Who are you learning from? Who's influencing you like now? Your wife. Oh, that's great, Jim. That's a, that's a, you obviously learned to say that from her. That's good. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, what else? Who is, who's shaping you? Who are you following? Who are you learning from? Your peers. Your peers? Yeah. Your children, you could learn from your children. What sort of stuff could you learn from? You have adult children now, and what sort of stuff could could you learn from them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any of you members of a professional association in your workplace? You've got to learn. You've, you've got to follow the guild, the association. You've got to keep learning, don't you? You've got to disciple yourself to the Aneth Royal Australian College of Anaesthetists, or the Project Management Institute, or the whoever it is, the Royal Australian Society of Engineers who build buildings that shouldn't fall down but seem to have cracks more often than they should. Institute, you know. So you've got to learn. You've got to learn from these people, right? And Jesus says, everyone's a disciple, and His plan is that you and I learn from him about what really matters in life. So he's not going to teach us about anesthetics or credit markets or uh, you know, logistics or any, any of those things. But what Jesus offers us is uh, a master class in, in how to do life in such a way that we can flourish and succeed no matter what specific vocation or occasion we find ourselves in. That's what Jesus does. He says, come and learn from me. That's, in fact, that is God's whole subversive plan to overcome evil and change the world. It's to form a community of people who become his disciples, who say, we're going to learn from him. And we're going to learn how to live his like he says in this world. So all of the previous discussion we've had from Matthew chapter um, 5 and 6 in the first part of 7 is all about Jesus saying, okay, this is how you live. And, and I commend you, go back and listen online to the, the sermons from the last few months. This is how we live in the area of forgiveness, in the area of lust, in the area of power. This is how we make life work. And this is his plan to uh, change the world. And uh, we're going to think a bit about that now. Um, and the, the, the point he's going to make is that um, this is not easy. This is not easy. The assumption of Jesus' program for his people, here's a quote from Dallas Willard, who's uh, written this marvelous book called The Divine Conspiracy. It's 20 years old, and it's really an exposition of this, uh, this passage of Scripture in Matthew says the assumption of Jesus' program for his people on earth was that they would live their lives as his students and co-laborers. They would find him so admirable in every respect, wise, beautiful, powerful, and good, that they would constantly seek to be in his presence and be guided, instructed, and helped by him in every aspect of their lives. Okay, isn't that interesting? That's his plan. Let me ask you this question then. Is that 
how you and I think of Jesus as someone who is so wise, so beautiful, so powerful, and so good that we admire him so much that we will say, you know, I want to learn from Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to learn exactly from him how I should live. And I'm going to prioritize his teaching about how I should do life over that of my peers or my parents or others in my life. I could ask it another way. Um, What good reason could you give for not listening to what Jesus has to say about life? Think about it that way. What good reason could there be for not listening to Jesus? It'll get you into trouble. Yeah, that's true, apparently. Yeah. What other? I mean, what? Well, that may not be a good enough reason, but these are the reasons. So, what? What good reasons could we give? Ah, so, yeah, that's right. So, of course, we can't possibly do what he says because when the going got really tough, he just clicked into divine overdrive and was like, "That's how he." Yeah, and we're just really human. Yeah, yeah, that's a. Is that a really good reason? I mean, you could flip it around, couldn't you? You could say, that's a really good reason to listen to him because being both divine and human, he had the benefit of understanding the human experience fully, but also he got it all from God's perspective simultaneously. So really, he does know better than us. That would make sense, wouldn't it? If it's true, yeah? Yeah, we want to call our own shots. We want to do what we want to do, not listen to someone else. Like, is that a really good reason? Well, it is if you know better than the person telling you what to do, right? Then it's really good. So when, uh, you know, when our kids were little, I, I wouldn't listen to their advice on most things in life. Like when they're four, they're not particularly reliable in their understanding of how life works. But someone who really is brilliant and knows everything, loves me perfectly, well, I should probably listen to them. Uh, what's it like trying to teach someone who doesn't want to learn from you? It's, it's so annoying, isn't it? You just, just do what I say and things will work out. It's very, very annoying. Very annoying. But there's no... I, I just... The more I was thinking a lot about this... I thought, actually, I can't come up. This is what Willard says. Plainly, in the eyes of Jesus, there is no good reason for not doing what he said to do, for he only tells us to do what is best. In one situation, he asks his students or his disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you make out that you really believe in me? Why do you make out that you think I'm the Lord? Why do you make out that you think I'm God and then you don't? actually listen to me and he says there's no good reason for you not to listen to me i love you i get it i totally understand i mean there's we'll talk towards the end of the sermon about some of the barriers to obedience and fear of consequences and being hammered and selfishness all play into place but for me and maybe this is for you as well you need to stop and and just do the work of going hmm why would i not why would i not listen to jesus I mean, it's hard, for sure. You know, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says we should do that. We looked at that. That's hard. But the fact that someone tells us to do something that's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it and it's not good for us, does it? So, um, uh, Jesus' plan is to form a community of people who become his disciples and what we see then is that a discipleship in this text is really about routine obedience from the heart. It's about routine obedience from the heart. And Jesus uses, um, uh, Jesus uses four pictures at the end of uh, this little section, his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, to drive home the absolute fundamental importance of obedience for discipleship. Like, 
Another way of saying that is you can't learn from somebody if you're not going to actually do what they say. That's true in every area of life. You'll never learn a language from somebody if you never actually do what they say when it comes to how the grammar of the language works. You'll never learn to play an instrument from someone if every time you sit down and they show you how to play a piece, you argue with them and insist on doing it your own way. That just won't work. And it doesn't work in any area of life, and it doesn't work in our spiritual lives, and that's what Jesus says. And he uses four pictures that are very, very confronting to make this point with enormous power. Um, he says, and let's have a look at it, the first, the first picture he uses is the picture of a gate. Okay? He says, enter through, and, and entering, what do we enter into? We enter into a truly great life or the kingdom of heavens into a relationship with God that lasts forever. We enter into glory, and he says, what you've got to do is you've got to come through the narrow gate. Okay, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Okay, what is the broad uh, road? What is the wide gate and the broad road that leads to destruction? Do you think? In the context of what I've just said and what Jesus has been saying up to this point. Not listening. Doing our own thing. And there's an infinite number of ways in which we can do our own thing. I think that's why Jesus says it's so broad. I mean, we, we, there's an almost limitless number of ways we can do our own thing. And when we do our own thing... Things don't work out well for us, do they? That's the point. Uh, we end up competing with each other, fighting with each other, and we end up ultimately dying. So therefore, what's the narrow gate? For obedience to Jesus, yeah. Do what he says. That's it. And, and we, we all love the broad. It's easy to do what we want. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Actually, you know what? There's a narrow path here. It's the path of obedience. It's the path of following him. And you've got to do that. Okay? Find it. Few find it. So I'm excited that you're all here because I'm assuming you all want to find that narrow gate, right? In some way, shape, or form, inside each of us is a longing to find a path to life that really is life, to find a path to hope and to healing and to wholeness. And you've got to find it, you've got to look for it, and it's narrow, but it's, it's accessible. Like you can, It's there, just obey Jesus. Okay, that's the first picture he uses. And then he says, in this journey of finding uh, life, you're going to face some challenges. And this is what he says. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into their fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. So, on your path to uh, through the narrow gate on your path to a truly great life to being a follower of Jesus what can get in your way what can make life terribly terribly hard for you according to Jesus sorry bad fruit yes 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 lack of discernment yeah false prophets so false teachers people who stand up and go, well, uh, here's what Jesus said, and I've got a slight nuance on that. I can tell you some other stuff that's really going to help you. And he says, you've got to be very careful. Don't, don't go after false prophets. They're going to come at you, and false prophets are going to tell you stuff that you want to hear, but they're actually very dangerous, enormously dangerous. Okay? And, and so then, of course, the question is in this picture, well, how do we know? How do we know who the false prophets are? Well, how do we know who the false prophets are? According to Jesus. You just watch, pay close attention to the course of their lives, and over time, what is inside comes out. So there will be people who will say to you, 
I don't know, gosh, all kinds of things like, um, I'll pick an easy one in our culture. Uh, Jesus really wants you to be rich and healthy. And if you give to our ministry and our church, then God will bless you financially in return. Okay, this is a, there's a whole movement. It's, it's, it's all around the place. And, and, you know, people say this. They say, well, fund our ministry, give to our church, and God will make you rich. Oh. Is that really what Jesus says about money? Not really. In fact, quite the opposite. So what's the best way of, of, of understanding that anyone who says that is a false prophet? Well, you look at their lives. And what we discover over the last 40 years is that typically people who teach that kind of message get themselves into all kinds of financial difficulty themselves. You see their greed writ large. You see their theft. You see their fraud. It just, it comes out. You can't, you know, you can't not come out. So, um... Jesus warns us. He says, listen, be really, really careful um, because what matters is routine obedience from the heart and don't listen to anyone or be influenced by anyone whose behavior over time when closely observed is not the kind of behavior you'd expect from Jesus. Okay, like that's it. Pay very close attention. Don't be misled. There's lots of people who mislead us, including ourselves. <laughs> Watch. Because what really matters is that inner transformation, Jesus says. So that's the sort of second word picture that is very, very powerful and confronting. Um, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then he does this picture of, um, just to make the point even more clearly, uses the picture of final judgment and he says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven so the kingdom of heaven this place of eternal glory and blessedness this is the good life um, but only the one who does the will of my father this is it only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven and it seems like there are going to be lots of people who will say to Jesus on that final day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all kinds of amazing things? We prophesied in your name and in your name drove out many demons and in your name performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Isn't this one of the most encouraging little passages in all of Scripture? <laughs> That's pretty that was a joke. It's really not. It's really, really not encouraging. It is a tough, tough passage. And, you, and we have to think together carefully about what exactly it means in this context. So what does it mean? Given everything I've said so far, everything Jesus did so far in the previous three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, what do you think he's getting at there? We're all in trouble. Yes, that, that is true. Though it does seem that some people aren't in trouble. Okay, so, what, so, so we're all in trouble. Yep, what else? What is it saying? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus will see what our lives are really like in spite of outward appearances. And what's he, what's he looking for? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience to whom? That's not a trick question. It's the, the answer's really there. It's pretty, it's like, you know, like verse 21, the one that, the bit that's highlighted. <laughs> it's, it's hard, isn't it? When you're answering questions off the floor, you're never sure if there's a trick question and what if I say this and I'm wrong. No, I'm not. There's no tricks here. So Jesus says this, there is a possibility that in the area that in the area of religion we uh if we focus on the external appearances we can actually kid ourselves you can you can be super religious you can do everything right on the outside but on the inside you're still calling your own shots you're actually not obeying the father 
you're, you're, you know, like you can, and that seems a possibility, right? Uh, it seems a very, very, very scary real possibility. You can sit in church Sunday by Sunday. You can serve on the leadership team of churches. You can, you can run churches. You can preach. You can prophesy. You can do amazing things. You can be a great big philanthropist. You can give a lot of money away to church and do lots of amazingly good stuff. But in your heart of hearts, what's really going on? You're doing it for you. You, you, you're calling the shots. Because the, the will of the Father in heaven is that we surrender and yield to Jesus. The will of the Father in heaven is that we believe in Jesus, that we trust him. So it's a great danger, according to Jesus. Um, and and it's, it's a great danger then, and it's a great danger now, because we as human beings only really have access to people's external appearances. That's how we judge people, isn't it? I don't... If you turn up here and you're all lovely and religious, I'm going to treat you as someone who's all lovely and religious, right? And you're going to treat me the same way. And, and, and we can fool everyone around us by our lovely religiosity. And we can maybe even fool ourselves. Uh, but Jesus says you can't fool him. That's that's harsh, eh? I I sometimes think there are many people, as I as I read the Gospels, the outwardly religious people are the folk who were the least obedient to Jesus, and the outwardly totally messed up people were the folk whose hearts were most connected to Jesus. Think about it. The, the rich people, the scribes, the, 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 the religious academics, the religious lawyers, the political elite, the economic elite, they looked like they had it all together, but actually they radically, completely rejected Jesus. And, and the ones who, in human terms, were a complete mess externally, the demon-possessed, the, the greedy, oppressive tax collectors in cahoots with an evil occupying force, the sex workers, the, the folk who'd absolutely messed up their life, the ones who were sick, the ones who were excluded and marginalized, the ones who externally looked very irreligious and very, very far from God. When you read the Gospels, they were the ones who Jesus welcomed and connected with. <laughs> and that's what he's saying. You know, we've, we, need to, we need to know that what matters is, is connection with Jesus in obedience. And, and over time, that will, that will work itself out in our behavior and in externals. But, but we can be very impressive externally, but a real mess internally. And that doesn't impress Jesus. So uh, don't get confused about that, Jesus is saying. Don't get confused at all, according to Jesus. Um, okay. And then uh, he uses this very, if you've been in Sunday school, you've been around church, he uses this very famous story. And he, he, the final picture is this. Uh, again, a, a, just a, a fourth way of making the same point. You've got two choices in life. You can uh, hear these words of mine, note them down on the app, and then not do them. <laughs> now, he, Jesus would love it if you noted it down on the app. But what he says is this. <laughs> He's, he's very happy. He's smiling in heaven, I'm telling you now, right? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, he hears these words and puts them into practice. Like that's, you get the, uh, Jesus is a very good teacher. You know, one of the most important things that aid, uh, aid uh, recall is repetition. So he's just going round and round. He's making the same point four times as he lands this great sermon and he says, what matters friends, is putting it into practice, living it out, living it out. Uh, and the man is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Fascinating. He says, um, for a long period of time, those two houses looked equally impressive, didn't they? Until the point at which they didn't. And then it was too late. So put it into practice. Don't just listen. Nod. Smile. Take notes. And then go and just do your own thing anyway. I mean, I know no one here would do that. But I know that's my temptation. That's Jesus. It's, it's very hard because it's, it's putting it into practice that builds a truly great life. It's putting into practice that sets us up for uh, an utterly indestructible destiny. That's amazing, right? So well, earlier when he said, why, why, what's a good reason for not trusting Jesus or obeying him? He said, well, it's hard. And it is. And, and people around the world for 2,000 years have lost their lives because of their faith. It's hard. But Jesus says, uh, what, I'm at, what Jesus is saying is, if you put my words into practice, if you truly are a disciple, even if you lose your life, you're actually living in an indestructible house. The worst anyone can do is take away your physical body, and all that that does is move you more quickly into an eternity with God with a new body and a new creation. You're, and this is so important. He says you're, you're fundamentally untouchable uh, by, by all the challenges and the pain and the heartaches of life. That's amazing, right? And, and gosh, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of suffering and heartache in the world. And he says if you build your life on God, if you put into practice, you're untouchable. Now, of course, it's ironic. The very reason we don't trust Jesus and put his life into practice is because we don't trust him to give us that indestructibility. We think we know better. Don't we? Let me give you an example. Um, if I am to be truly secure, I must crush my enemies. Okay. If you work in the corporate world, many organizations, you'll know that uh, you know, corporate big organizations, human groups are full of power plays and people going, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to survive, I've got to make sure I position myself to have the greatest amount of power and I crush anyone who gets in my way. Okay? We do that with our enemies. Family law courts are full of it. Our, our world is full of it. If I'm going to survive and be secure, I've got to crush those who would hurt me. What does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How many times you should you forgive someone? Seventy times seven. Like, there's no limit to forgiveness, right? And the paradox is, the thing that we think will make us secure, which is a worldly use of power, actually is the very thing that pu puts us in a house built on sand that makes us completely vulnerable, and it ends badly. And he says, the thing that feels terribly vulnerable, living for Jesus, is the thing that makes you indestructible. <laughs> uh, money. Let's pick another one. Just uh, Why do we all want money? Uh, provide for our basic needs. But we want to accumulate money to provide us a measure of indestructibility. I want money so that I can have good health care. I want money so that I don't live in indignity in my old age and I can, you know, I, I, can, have, I can have a quality of life. I want to protect myself from all the different challenges of life. That's one of the reasons we want money. Now, of course, when we pursue money to try and build invulnerability in our lives, Jesus says, you're actually on a path to ultimate destruction. It won't work. And he says, rather, if you follow his advice on money, hold it loosely, be generous, all the stuff we've talked about, then, while you may have much less than anyone around you, um, you're actually living in a house built on a solid foundation. You're living in a place of complete ultimate eternal indestructibility. How cool is that? If you put it into practice. If you put it into practice. So, um, discipleship is about routine obedience from the heart. Now, of course, um, how do you get there? How do you have that? 
How do you find uh, routine obedience from the heart? Well, the disciple or apprentice of Jesus, as recognized by the New Testament, is one who has firmly decided to learn from him how to lead his or her life, whatever that may be, as Jesus himself would do it. And as best they know how, they are making plans, taking the necessary steps, progressively arranging and rearranging their affairs to do this. All of this will, in one way or another, happen within the special and unfailing community he has established on earth. Three, th three ways to become a, a follower of Jesus. Okay. Ask, live in his words, and decide. So the first thing you've got to do if you want to become a follower, a disciple, if you really want to make that switch, is to ask Jesus to help you. You have to ask Jesus to forgive you for all the times when you failed. Because I think it came up before, the, the truth of the matter is, there is only one human being who has ever lived a truly Jesus-shaped life. There's only one human being who's ever been truly obedient to the will of it of his father who was that human being jesus and so uh, here's what he says he looks at us in all our frailty and all our failings and he goes i have obeyed the father perfectly and and then out of obedience to the father i've i've actually stood in the place of uh human beings who like you and me who spectacularly fail so the consequence of not obeying the Father is that we, we, we perish, that we die, that the house we've built for ourselves comes crashing down. That's the logical, inevitable outworking of, of the broad way that leads to destruction, of, uh, of being a false prophet, of following a false prophet, of not obeying God from the heart, is that we, we are crushed and we die. And that's the path we're all on. And the, the miracle, the amazing thing about Christianity is Jesus is the perfectly obedient person who says, you know what? I don't want you all on the narrow on the on the broad way. I don't want you to die. So he says, I'll die in your place. The only truly obedient one will die in the place of us disobedient ones, so that we can be forgiven and given a second chance. So that we can have a fresh start with God. So that that what we've done, our failures and our disobedience, is not held against us, that we can actually have God come into our lives and put us on the narrow path and put us on the solid foundation and give us the spirit and the obedience of Jesus so that our hearts are changed from the inside. How does that happen? We ask for him to do that in our lives. We say, Jesus, come into my life and change me from the inside. We ask him for his help moment by moment. We ask him to show us where we failed so that we can get assistance. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago uh, probably six weeks ago now, the, 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 the power of the ask, asking people is extraordinarily powerful. So start with ask. Ask Jesus into your life. Ask Jesus to change your heart. Ask Jesus to give you the desire to be his follower. Ask him for help. Now, how often do you think you need to ask Jesus for help? once continually yeah it's not a I, there's a once-off thing for sure maybe you've never thought of asking jesus for help but it's continually so when you wake up tomorrow and you go to work what you here's a here's a suggestion you you know ask jesus to go to work with you to guide you and empower you and give you his heart so that you can work at work in your workplace the way jesus would do your job if he were doing it in your place. Ask him to help you continually. It, it, it doesn't take much. Uh, it's not expensive to ask Jesus for help, nor does it take much time. I was doing some training uh, at, a, at, a, at Saks, at St. Andrew's Cathedral School, talking to the staff about working with God, and I said, here's the thing you could do. Um, Every time you come to the doorway to your classroom, as you're rushing into class, and you can hear the kids inside mucking up, as you put your hand on the door, just pause for five seconds and say, Dear Jesus, please help me. Please come into this class with me so I can be uh, the best teacher I can be 
and then you open the door and you walk in. That's all. You, it doesn't take much. It's just to ask. Uh, we were on a we, for many years. Margot and I have been involved in, with a, a, a hospital in an orthopedic hospital in Goma, in the eastern part of the DRC. And the fellow who set it up is a man called Joe Lucy, and uh, and his wife Lynn. And Joe was a local Congolese doctor trained uh, in uh, in Europe as an orthopedic surgeon, and uh, then returned in uh, after the genocide in Rwanda in '94 to set up this hospital in the this, the epicenter of all the violence in the eastern part of the DRC. And uh, Joe is an extraordinary Christian man, and he says he gets all these... Uh, over the years, they've, they've built this teaching hospital. It's, it's been an extraordinary endeavor. Um, he says he gets all these Western doctors coming to help out, which is wonderful. And uh, he says the first thing he's got to teach the doctors is he's got to teach them to pray for their patients. He says you've got to teach them to pray. He says Western doctors don't know how to do that. So you come as a surgeon, and you're all qualified, more qualified than Joe, and credentials and and a great person he says but if you don't and then joe says in his inimitable style he says but if they don't pray for their patients they're no better than witch doctors <laughs> I thought, okay well, all right uh, won't go there but pray ask and what do you do and what does he teach them to pray when they operate on their patients ask jesus for help all the time just involve him in everything it's, it's not rocket science and then the second thing you and i need to do is live in his words. You want, you want to know, you, you want to, and that's, that's in Scripture, to know we, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Jesus is made known to us in the Bible, so we need to understand, we need to study it. We need to know it so it's second nature to us. So read the Bible, meditate on it, memorize it, remember it, so you can go, oh, that's how Jesus would want me to treat X, Y, and Z. Because I know the whole story. I've indwelt it. It's indwelt me. And then thirdly, um, decide. Intend to live as a disciple. You've actually got to make a decision. It's no good sitting here going, yeah, 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 yeah. You've actually got to decide. There is power in just deciding, committing, saying, yep, that's it. And it's binary. It's you've either decided or you haven't decided. You can't half decide something, right? So um, you've either decided to learn to play the piano from Joel or you have decided not to. It's not like, I've half decided. You, you can't do that. You've either, you, you may have ambivalence and, and feel different things about a decision. You, you, you've, you've decided to marry someone, or you've decided not to marry them. That's it. You've decided. You intend, and then you carry it out. Your feelings may come and go, but you've made the decision. Nothing ever happens until you decide. Nothing. Nothing happens without decision. So, Decide that, or don't. <laughs> what Jesus says is simply make a decision this morning that for the rest of your lives you will prioritize learning from Jesus how to live. And you will study the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus. You will ask him for help. You embed yourself in a community of people on the same journey, and that's going to be how you live. And just decide, right? It's binary. Like, and if you haven't decided to do that, you actually aren't doing it, and it's not going to happen to you. Does that make sense? That won't happen by accident. So you've got to decide. You've got to say, okay, I'm going to decide. And then tell someone about the decision, live it out, embrace it, follow through on it. Okay. That is how you become a disciple. So what does that mean for us? Well, this is what we're, we're to encourage each other to do. This is what we're on about as a church. They need to live like Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, uh, just thank you that you've made it so clear how we can live a truly great life. You don't want us to die wondering, Lord. <laughs> You really hammered it home. 
And I pray for us that we will um, abandon our attempts to run life ourselves. You know, it's, it's a million ways we can make our own decisions in life and try to be in charge and run from you. And There's only one way to really follow you, so help us embrace that. Maybe now you want to ask Jesus for help for specific challenges in your life. Maybe even one of the challenges you face is you're not even sure that you believe all this stuff for yourself. And maybe you need to just ask him to help you believe. Maybe you're scared of believing it because, gosh, if you follow Jesus, he might make you miserable. Maybe you want to ask him for courage. Maybe you want to ask him for forgiveness because you know all too well how you failed to be obedient and to live as his disciple. Maybe you want to ask him for guidance. Maybe you've got a great big challenge ahead of you and you're just really not sure what to do. Oh, Jesus, we ask you for everything we need to really flourish in your kingdom, to live well as human beings. I ask you to forgive us as a church when we have been too content with external appearances, where we valued ourselves and each other on the basis of how we look, not on the basis of where our hearts are at with Jesus. Pray that you'll forgive us when we claim to be your followers, but actually most of the time we just follow the advice of others, ourselves, our parents, our financial advisors, our political leaders, the voices on our social media platforms. Forgive us when we do that. Forgive us when we, <laughs> uh, when we uh, think that following you will make us miserable and we don't see how wonderful how admirable, how beautiful, how good, how true you are. And Lord Jesus, this morning, help each of us decide to live as your disciples. Decide that from this morning on, we will learn to live from you. And that will be our greatest priority and our greatest joy. Amen.